yes, that I love conflict. <laughs> Again, I said, you know, as an eight on the Enneagram, conflict means I love you. <laughs> you know, I understand that most of the world does not think that way. Um, but, you know, I did it. I did a TEDx talk called the, the nine ways to tell if your friends are trash. And number five is they don't fight for you or with you. Right. And so, like you said, conflict is not just about icky feelings, intention, and all of, again, these negative narratives that we have around conflict. Conflict is an opportunity. Welcome to Ariana Answers. I'm Dr. Ariana Brandolini, a clinical psychologist who lives in New York City. Every week, I answer a life question submitted by a listener like you. In the second season of my podcast, I want to unpack anxiety around situations in life we find ourselves in. Each episode will have two parts. One where I break down the situational anxiety we experience, and the other where I have an expert in the field give us some advice. Would you like your question answered? Head over to the description of this video to submit. Now, let's jump into this week's episode. With more and more adults struggling to build deep, meaningful connections, Kristen K.B. Newton has created a practical framework and heart combos to help navigate the tensions that exist in relationships. K.B. looks forward to having the conversations that matter with you, as she has with many others who become members, coaching students, and challenge participants. So many have learned the framework and are having their own heart combos and are finding deep, meaningful connections successfully. I am so excited for you to hear what this woman has to say. KB has tapped into an area of life that is so important, but so often neglected, namely our friendships. And she does so with honesty and humor. I'm so excited to have you on the show because your message about fostering healthy friendships is as important as it is rare. We don't hear this very often. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and basically how you got here? Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, Heart Combos has not been like this lifelong dream to start this platform. Like it didn't start out like that. Like I um, essentially was a trash friend for a very, very long time. <laughs> uh, I just had a lot of failed friendships, a lot of um, just un unhealthy connections, it seems like. I didn't form attachments very well. It's, it almost felt like when people saw me coming, like they <laughs> like they wanted to stick around because I, I was the kid with a lot of toys, but they also didn't want to stick around because they knew at some point I was going to like hurt them, you know, uh, hurt their feelings or at some point. So a lot of that came from a lack of awareness. Um, I think apart from Jesus, I'm extremely like, just, I mean, type A personality, ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs, eight on the Enneagram, uh, just very like, call it what it is, say it how it is, you know, can be very brash with my words, don't really care about people too much over tasks, I would rather accomplish a task. I'm also a military brat, so I have attachment issues in general because, you know, the narrative that formed very early in my life was that nothing lasts forever because you just move every three years, you know, it's like, these people are here and then they're not here. And so um, all of those things have come together to create a beautiful, um, a beautiful picture of, of perfect chaos. It feels like <laughs> that is my life some days. But but yeah, Heart Combos was was birthed out of a place of being the friend that was hurting people. I know oftentimes people create resources and write books about having been hurt and all of the things that have happened to them. And I was like, you know what? I think it's time to start talking from the vantage point of the individual who would cut someone off, who would go someone, who would be, you know, brash with their words and all the things. And so, so Heart Combos was, you know, it was an attempt to 
really just offer people perspective on the challenges that that exist in friendship from the vantage point of someone who was often the cause of those <laughs> challenges. And I think that that's something that a lot of people, you know, struggle with when you talk about the self-awareness piece, right? Kind of like, you know, I often work with people who are, they don't, they're like, the friendships aren't working and I don't really know why, right? Or they kind of are like, is this even a good friendship? Is it a healthy friendship? You know, how do I know? So in terms of your own journey of um, getting to a place where you started to recognize, maybe, you know, you mentioned, did you say trash friend, right? I love that. When did you kind of have the realization, maybe maybe this is me and, and how do I actually go about building the self-awareness to then change it, right? Because often I, I say the most powerful people are the most self-aware people. If you don't know what's wrong, you can't change it, right? And so um, how did you personally build that for yourself? Yeah, um, community. None of it happened in isolation. None of it. I know a lot of people right now, you know, think that they have to kind of go get themselves together first and then come back. But what I have found at least to be true for myself is that if I'm doing the work in any area and I don't have real time, real life opportunities to practice what I'm learning, then I don't, it doesn't ever actually become like wisdom for how I should engage and interact. Does that make sense? It just becomes knowledge. It's just information. And I think a lot of people think that learning is just literally acquiring information. And it's like, you no, know, the, pur the, the purpose of learning is mastery. Like the purpose of learning is to get to the point where you've not only acquired this information, right, but you've developed it into a skill that you're using day in and day out. So none of my growth and my awareness came in isolation. It came from, from failing time and time again, being in communities of people that were forgiving, that were willing to let me fail forward, that, um, that, that saw my potential and, was, and were willing to push me like, towards my potential. In, in, in situations that were uncomfortable, that I wasn't used to. It's like, hey, we're going to have to talk about this. I don't want to talk about it, but we're going to have to talk about this. You know, so do you need some time? You know, <laughs> like we can come back to it, but at some point we're going to have to talk about this, right? Um, learning expectations, like how to verbally communicate my expectations. I think that's a huge miss in friendships that people just don't recognize that they want to have expectations, that their expectations are fine and valid to have, but can only... Play themselves, play themselves out in a beneficial way when they are recognized, expressed, accepted by the other person, and then lived out, <laughs> right? And um, I call those real expectations. It's that acronym of recognized, expressed, accepted, and lived out, right? And so um, there's that. And then boundaries. Henry Cloud is my is like my uncle that I never knew. <laughs> um, one of the first books I ever read from Love him is Changes That Heals, and Changes That Heal will wreck your whole life, right? Um, but He's like the father of boundaries, right? And he talks about how a boundary is a property line that you draw between uh, you and someone else to distinguish like where you begin, where I end, like what you're responsible for, what I'm responsible for and all those things. And once I learned the power of having boundaries and verbalizing my expectations, that's really when things started to change for me. But that didn't happen in isolation and it happened to to help you navigate anxiety and become more mindful, I've created a 20-page workbook for you, completely free. You'll find journal prompts, exercises, and a wealth of information on how you can master anxiety and live a better life. Click the link in the description to download. You know, as the whole not happening in isolation, I love that, right? You know, a lot of times we, there's an overemphasis on different kinds of relationships that are, might not be friendships, right? There are things like uh, your romantic partner, right? Everyone wants to be dating or married. And so that's sort of the main focus for family relationships because can't, I mean, 
can't really get rid of your family. I mean, you can, but they're always going to be your family, right? Whereas with friendships, it's this weird in between thing where there isn't like a finite like end date, right? With like, with like romantic relationships, you kind of know, okay, like we're in this until we're not. Um, And so, you know, even when I think a lot of people out of anxiety will even avoid maybe community, right? When you say like, I, I needed people to actually reflect this back to me. And so I know a lot of people that I work with, they're very anxious. And so they kind of spiral into shame if they were to be given any feedback, right? And so it's really hard but as you say, if we don't practice, even in relate, you know, even in in French relationships, it's we can't actually improve in other relationships as well, right? So it's so important to do that in friendships. You know, I know you you coach people, you work with people. So you know, have you ever experienced people who have that kind of anxiety who want to run away, right, and avoid because of that conflict piece and actually having someone be a mirror because they're so scared of what the feedback's going to be, and then how do you kind of help them? overcome that to then approach you know if anxiety is is can be caused right by uh focusing kind of on these outcomes these negative outcomes but getting fixated on them like oftentimes when we find ourselves in an anxious place it's because we have been we are fixated on an outcome we do not want to see and in in that in its most basic level a lot of what i teach in my coaching programs is one you're you're, you're teaching people to look into their mirror Right. It's like, hey, you've got to look into your mirror and be able to make sense of you because attachment research does show us like 90 years worth of attachment research shows us that the people who can make deep, meaningful connections and form healthy attachments are those who can like make deep, meaningful connections with themselves and attach healthily to themselves. Right. So it's like we got to start first with you by looking into your mirror. I don't know that we always find that as the starting point. You know, it's always kind of like the other person needs to fix this and then we will be okay. (laughs) It's like. Oh, yeah. One way to look at it, right? <laughs> but, you know, taking taking time to look into your mirror and to, and to be able to make sense of what you see, that's the hardest work, I think, in, in, in a lot of it. And, and it's why people, we need licensed clinicians. We need coaching spaces like the ones that I provide. We need spaces that allow us to kind of, a safe space to look at what's going on in us and then to be honest about, what's, you know, about those things. And so we also need to be taught how to um, only expect the outcomes that we desire. You get what I mean? Like, it's one thing to be honest about what we're apprehensive about and all those kinds of things. But if you're going to have an expectation about anything, it might as well be about the outcome that you want versus like fixating on an outcome that you don't want, which again is only going to create anxiety, which then leads to doubt and apprehension and, and will limit you from from leaning in and acting. I always tell people that, you know, and I and actually learned this from a mentor of mine that, you know, the focus in your head creates a feeling in your heart, which then creates a function in your hands. Right. So if, if that's how it works on all levels, it starts with what we're thinking. All right. My, another mentor of mine always says that, hey, your destiny begins with the fantasy of your thoughts. You have got to be aware of what you're thinking about, because that thinking is then uh, impacting your emotions which then is impacting your feelings and your ideas and your beliefs and your perspectives and your values. And like it just trickles on. And that and those are the things that make us who we are. So, again, we want to you got to be able to make sense of that. Something you said about shame, though, that I just, you know, <laughs> again, on a very surface level has helped me. When I find myself falling into shame, I'm essentially telling myself that I should have already mastered everything. Somebody told me that that was the best acronym for shame that they had ever, you know, heard. Like, I should have already mastered everything. And when I put that pressure on me, that I'm like, oh, I can't do it. The other thing is, is that, you know, God, it, and again, this is my perspective, you know, agree or don't agree about the origin is up to you. But I think emotions have a purpose. And they were something that God has given us to communicate things to ourselves. And so what's the purpose of shame? 
then, like if, if all emotions are good inherently, then what's the purpose of shame, right? Because we oftentimes like to just give shame a bad rap and like there's no place for shame in our life. And I'm like, well, I think shame has a purpose, right? And what's the purpose? Well, I think shame is an emotion that communicates to us that we have a human limitation, like that we are limited. And what we do is when we when we realize we're limited, we didn't know the thing that we tell, are telling ourselves we should have known. We didn't make the right choice, you know, like because we made the choice based on what we had. and we, maybe we didn't have all the facts or maybe we couldn't see all the perspectives or we weren't mature enough to really listen to that. Whatever it is, like shame is just communicating to you when you feel it, like you've got, you're limited. So then what should it give us energy to do? If our emotions ride our energy in motion, like what, what should shame give us the energy to do? It should give us the energy to set boundaries. And again, when a person can can know, like, I'm feeling shame right now. Why am I feeling shame? Okay, I might need to readjust the boundaries. You know what I mean? I might need to give myself more room. I might need to give myself less room. I might need to give them more room or less room, whatever it might be. Does that make sense? And so those are, that's kind of how life is, just some of the lessons I've been learning as I've gone, um, just understanding, like, I got to be able to make sense of my thoughts and be aware of them. I also need to be able to make sense of how I'm feeling and understand, like, that I don't have to shame myself for feeling how I'm feeling or dismiss how I'm feeling. Cause for me, I'm just like the suppressor. I'm like, I'm feeling it, but I don't want to feel it. So therefore it does not exist. <laughs> and that has, that has not helped me at all. And so I hope that answered your question. I kind of went on a rabbit trail. Yeah. I love it because I think the whole thought thing is so that I talk about this at infinitum, like people get people like roll their eyes. They're like, I know, but the, you know, our thoughts are a reality. Right. And so, and it, just because you think something doesn't mean it's actually true. And so, and our thoughts, exactly. And thoughts are also habits of thinking, right? There's a reason why we have certain muscles that are really flexed and really strong. And so, you know, a lot of what I do, and I'm sure what you do a lot with your clients, right? You kind of, what are those patterns of automatic thinking and how do you actually take a beat to be like, wait a minute, I'm doing that thing again that is creating that feeling that then is creating that behavior that is just going to do the same outcome. If I want a different outcome, maybe I actually have to choose a different thought to think. And it's not about rainbows and sunshine because that's not realistic, right? But it's about what is actually maybe a more helpful thing to think. Is this thought true? Is this thought helpful? You know, that's what I, I talk about a lot. So I love that that thought piece. And I also love that you brought up boundaries because I think you know, even in friendship, there's sort of this inherent idea that like, oh, friendship should be so easy. And you just like, can share everything and do all the things and want to be with each other all the time. And you have to be unconditionally supportive and blah, 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 blah. And it just, you know, and then people, no wonder things fall apart and they just, you know, so in terms of boundaries, what have you found? What do, what does that mean? And in terms of in relationships and friendships, what do you think are kind of healthy boundary boundaries in relationships you know I know you can't go get into everything but what are some things that you see a lot of that you kind of coach people through yeah you know when it comes to friendship everybody's wondering if they should or shouldn't that's the big thing about friendship it's kind of like we have in our in our our mind a framework for how our romantic relationships are supposed to work and even that I think sometimes gets people in trouble because <laughs> I'm like well maybe maybe not I don't know but in friendship really no one has a framework there's no book there's no guideline there's no nothing you know, they're not having conferences on friendship. Well, until now, because I'm about to make a huge announcement about a live event that I'm having in the spring. <laughs> um, but uh, that's, that's so exciting. Listening, you're the first official platform that has this announcement. So whenever this leaks, oh. I, I would have made I'm the announcement so, to the public. 
honored. Oh, so honored. Listen, I'm I'm super excited about it because it's just a, it's a gap in Christian spaces and regular spaces. Like I'm like, who's just calling people together to talk about friendship? No one. So let's do it, right? And so um, I think everybody's asking the question like, should friendship take all of this? Should friendship work this way? Mainly because we have a narrative already in our brain for how friendship should unfold, and a lot of it is uh, it should be easygoing. It's about compatibility. It's about com- if we complement each other, if we're compatible, if it if it works, then it's right, you know, kind of thing. It it, it speaks to a very organic way of doing life where it's like we just kind of go with the flow, right? We're just friends. It's not deep. It's fun. It's lighthearted. Very much so what you were saying, and boundaries. And expectations are real in any healthy connection, like in any deep, meaningful connection, healthy connection, boundaries and expectations are real. What you should be expecting around your boundaries and expectations will will depend on the level of connection. And so I talk about these five levels of connection. They've often been referenced as the friendship tiers whenever I'm specifically talking about friendship. But I think that there are five ways that you can connect in friendship. You can have strangers that are friends, acquaintances that are friends. You can have um, compatriots that are friends, comrades that are friends in your inner circle. Who are your friends? So these are the degrees of how we're connecting. You gotta you gotta think of it like a funnel, like or like an ice cream cone, where it's wider at the top and it's smaller at the bottom. You will always know more strangers than you have in your inner circle. That should be that way at least, <laughs> right? And so at the top, you've got these strangers. Well, what are you building friendships around with strangers? Information. That's it. It's the only thing we're sharing. Like, oh my gosh, you're from what? You're from New York? Oh my goodness, I'm from there. Like I was born in. You get what I mean? Like it's like oh East Coast. Great. That's awesome. Oh, you went to the same school. You were in the same sorority. Oh my gosh. Like who knew we knew the same. Again, it's just information, right? People form bonds over that and, um, and, and form a level of connection there, but it's not a deep one. You know what I mean? And then, um, beyond beneath that, you've got acquaintances. Well, acquaintances, what do they form their connections over? They form their connections over their mutual investments. The things that we're both doing. We both go to this gym. Therefore, we see one another regularly here, right? It's like we both go to the same church. We're both interested in this Facebook group, whatever. We're acquaintances, a little bit more than a stranger. But then it goes in from there to compatriots. Compatriots, uh, they connect over interest. So it's like the benefit they're gathering from whatever the thing is that they might be doing together or even that they're not doing together. Like we're interested in the same um and the things that are giving back to us, if that makes sense. And so that's a little deeper than just, we both just go to this gym over, oh, we both had a connect, uh, had a conversation and found out that we're both type one diabetic. We've both been diabetic since we were teens and what that means for our health today. Okay, cool. There's a little deeper of a connection. I tell everybody that your relationships go from shallow to deep when you cross that threshold from compatriot to comrade, because what you're investing, um, what you're both invested in as comrades is intentionality. So there's a level of pursuit happening. There is not a, oh, if we connect, we connect. It's no, I'm reaching out to connect. I'm asking you to make time. You get what I mean? Like I'm, 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 there's an expectation for how much we're invest, like, you know, us both, you know, investing in one another. And in your inner circle, you're forming your bond and your connection over intimacy. So again, five eyes and these five levels connections are, are information, investment, interest, intention, and intimacy. And so when you're asking that question, well, what should it look like? And what do boundaries look like? Well, boundaries and expectations will be different on every level. Your boundaries for your strangers are going to be a lot tighter than they are for your inner circle, which is going to be probably super broad. They have far more play, uh, space to play in your life, right? But your the the expectations for your, your strangers are also going to be very, like, we have zero to none almost. Like, no expectations. You don't even know what to expect, right? Beyond, beyond what might be just um, a social norm. <laughs> and then... In your inner circle, that list of expectations could be a running list. 
just it just depends and so those are the degrees in which I talk about like how people can connect in their friendships and all that I think people should do with is knowing where everyone call a friend registers on those five levels of connection once you know that it's so free because you can now tell yourself like man I've been expecting an inner circle commitment from this compatriot relationship or I've been expecting you know um this acquaintance to be far more intentional with me <laughs> than they than they even need to be does that make sense do you find this information helpful is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear yeah i love that because also it i think with things you know when it comes to anxiety right anxiety thrives in uncertainty right it thrives in, in not knowing and so even the framework that you give actually gives kind of clear buckets that people can even then at least take a minute to sort people into, right? And sometimes people will, I'm sure, you know, they will travel in and out sometimes of different circles at different times of your life, right? And so being able to at least take a beat to be in, as you said, that intentionality, right? What are the friendships that I actually should be expecting certain things from and actually reaching out to, versus not. And so, um, and when we probably, when we maybe have some of those like icky feelings, those are signals that some evaluation maybe needs to take place. Right. And is this a, is it a me thing? Is it a them thing? Is it a boundary thing? And, you know, then you can actually figure out what to do with that. Um, and when it, you know, I think conflict is a big thing that, that a lot of people fear in, in friendships or they don't really know how to navigate. Um, and I, you know, I know that some of the greatest growth that I've had in terms of conflict and conflict resolution and actually recognizing the importance of conflict in creating intimacy has been in my friendships and in some friendships that I've developed in my 30s, right? And so, um, in, you know, can you speak a little bit? Because I know you speak about conflict and you speak about actually how important it is. So, so can you, you know, can you tell us a little bit about why is conflict important in friendships? Why is it not terminal, right? Why should we not write someone off when they're like a jerk and, and when we have a fight or whatever? What do, what do you think about all that? Yes, that, I love conflict. <laughs> Again, I said, you know, as an eight on the Enneagram, conflict means I love you. You know, I understand that most of the world does not think that way. Um, but, you know, I did a, I did a TEDx talk called the, the nine ways to tell if your friends are trash. And number five is they don't fight for you or with you. Right. And so, like you said, conflict is not just about icky feelings, intention and all of, again, these negative narratives that we have around conflict. Conflict is an opportunity. Disruption is an opportunity. Disturbance is an opportunity. Right. And so what is it an opportunity for? Well, it's an opportunity to have heart combos, which again is my whole jam and platform, right? It's an opportunity to have the conversations that created the tension. It's the opportunity to have conversations around the uh, uncertainty. Like it's an opportunity to get clarity, right? Conflict creates an opportunity. Conflict exposes where we're vulnerable, but then conflict is also a protection um, for relationship dynamics. And I, I only say this because again, sometimes we're going along just to get along and disruption happens. And whenever we avoid conflict and we want to look the other way and act like it's not there, then what we're doing is we're encouraging whatever the, the unhealthy pattern is, right? Whatever the disturbance is. It's almost kind of like knowing that your car needs an alignment and you feel a little bit of a tug, but you don't let it, you know, you don't go get it checked out right away. And you only go get it checked out when literally the car is like turning off the road now, like gears are grinding. Like it, it comes to like, okay, this is not drivable. 
And oftentimes people approach their relationship and it's like that. They're like, I'm going to let this yeah. get to the place where we can't even drive this thing anymore. <laughs> right. And it's like, but you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Like there, you could just like check up on it. Right. You know, and, and have the conversation. And so, um, conflict again creates opportunity for us to have conversations that might bring the clarity that we need that might uh, expose where we're vulnerable again sometimes um, conflict does expose that we don't have clarity around this thing and if we don't get clarity around it it could be to the detriment of this relationship dynamic and we don't want this to end and so we're going to pause right now to cover this vulnerable place it's hard while we're here and it, it hurts but we know if we treat it well, right? You know, it's like if we can get just clarity on what's going on, a good diagnosis, we can then treat it well and it'll give us the opportunity to recover, which is usually what I'm fighting for. You know, I, I'm I'm not often going to tell people like from a, from, you know, just first glance, you know, oh yeah, you should end that friendship. Like that's just not acceptable. Like I'm always, I'm always going to think like, is there opportunity for recovery? And recovery doesn't always mean the relationship will be restored to its first place or even you know, the, the, the sweetest place that it, it, it was, but can restoration be bought and, and brought together in some, in some space. And so, um, that's kind of my perspective around conflict. And I think the thing about conflict is like the boogeyman there. Everybody's afraid of conflict. Like this is going to be the end. And, you know, like it's not going to work and we're not going to make it through this. And it's like, again, those are limiting beliefs around conflict that really aren't helping your relationships. And so if you could just maybe change the way that you think, because again, if it all starts in our thoughts, Maybe just start embracing some different narratives around what conflict is. And again, I think the first one that you can think through is that conflict is an opportunity. Conflict can be a protection for our relationship because it also exposes areas that we're weak. Yeah. And I think, you know, as someone who is an inherent people pleaser, so I hate conflict. I hate it. So that's why we, I need people like you and some of my best friends are eights and and they're the conflict type. And so it's, I know. And so, you know, and I'm a nine, so I'm a peacemaker. And so I'm, I'm the kind of person who like, just wants to avoid it at all costs. And that's where my anxiety thrives. Right. And so one thing that has been so amazing in just trying to be brave and having these kinds of conversations for someone like me has been actually learning that, oh, friendships will be okay if we have a conflict and someone won't actually just hate me and not want to be my friend anymore. And what that has done is also helped kind of feed my worth and value of like, oh, you know, conflict isn't dangerous, right? And sometimes we actually just have to experience it and actually, you know, see the fruit of it on the other side to be able to say, okay, I'm just going to have to manage these emotions and manage my own anxiety to just kind of lean into it, right? And so I think a lot of times we want to be comfortable in relationship and, you know, you got to lean into the discomfort and actually, you know, when we talk about iron sharpens iron, right? This is where you can actually also grow as a human being. And it also helps your marriage. It helps your relationships. It helps your relationships oh, yeah. with your family, right? You can also practice. You know, I tell people all the time, if you're not a good friend, you're not going to be a good boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, coworker, ministry leader, influencer. Yeah. Like the foundation for healthy friendships can be found at the root of every relationship that like yeah. what it takes to have a friendship is is in almost every again every relationship dynamic and to think that you know if a person hasn't been practicing in friendship that they can skip that process and go straight to a relationship dynamic that has far more at risk <laughs> far more you know cost would cost them far more to fail at it right you know like you can fail at a friendship and it not cost you all of your property 
you know what I'm saying? Like everything you own, like, you know, like all your money, like, it's, but I'm like, you fail at a marriage. It could cost you everything. Right. If you fail, um, you know, you have a moral failure in leadership, you know, even if you're not creating a culture of, or a community of accountability and you don't, you're not in the habit of going to people when you fail or when you need to talk about your weakness or confess something, you know, like just work again, working through that conflict piece. But now you're in leadership and like now the team, like the success of the team feels like it rests on you and the success of the company or the ministry, like you're far less, less likely to just jump into the deep end and do the thing that you've never been practicing doing, even on a, on a smaller level, which is why, again, I, I encourage people to start, to start with friendship. So when is it acceptable to break up with a friend? Are, friend. are friend breakups acceptable when, when should that, can that happen? Because a lot of times too, people are kind of like, you know, oh, you know, because they, as, you know, as I talked about earlier, right, the, with, with, a, with a romantic relationship, there's sort of an expectation that it will end if, if it doesn't kind of work out. But with friendships, it's so much more confusing. So what do you think? Great question. Um, absolutely. Um, it's, it's absolutely sometimes a necessary ending. Uh, right. Henry Cloud talks about that a lot. He has a whole book called Necessary Endings. Um, and not every person will start together and end together right? <laughs> at the, at, on this journey that we call life. Um, I think, you know, when do you know? Well, I think you know that you will know more clearly when a relationship is not meant to continue. When you have done the work to know more clearly when a relationship is healthy. Does that make sense? Like the, the easier it is to identify a healthy relationship because you've made yourself aware of what expectations are, what boundaries are, right? What um, uh, conflict resolution, healthy conflict resolution looks like. Uh, when you have something healthy to compare it to, it's very easy to tell when something is unhealthy. I would like to argue that most people don't even know what health looks like. So at any sign of conflict or disruption or discomfort, they're like, this is unhealthy. This is toxic, man. You know, and I'm like, it's like me not being a doctor at all, you know, self-diagnosing through, you know, Google, you know, whenever my stomach hurts, like, oh God, I've got cancer. Like, and I think we do, don't we do that? Oh my gosh. This is uh, all Google is the band of my existence in terms of my work. I'm like, don't Google it. Do not do that. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't Google it. Do not yeah. get on. Do not the, the do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Uh, but we do that all the time in our relationship dynamics because we're just not well versed at even identifying what unhealth looks like. And I love it because it's like, you know, a doctor can look at something and tell you with the most nonchalant, like, oh, you're fine. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the, this is the end, <laughs> you know, right here. Like, I, I'm not going to make it. Like, you're fine. You should probably go home and take a nap. And uh, I'll probably knock this out. All right. Thank you. You know, and it's like, wait a minute. And so I feel that way sometimes when I'm helping people to understand, like, when something is over, you know, it's like, it, it, when it's over, it's not growing. It's dead. Like, there's no movement. Sometimes people think that slow progress means that it needs to be over, right? This person is growing, I will admit, but they're not growing at the rate that I would prefer them to be growing. Or they're not growing at the rate that I'm growing. They're not, their awareness is coming a lot slower than mine came. So I don't have time for this anymore. It's over. Or, you know, I would also say, you know, some, some very black and white scenarios, abuse, 
any any level or form of abuse is, is never acceptable. Um, you have no level of expectation, like accountability to your abuser or to someone. So if we just, if we, you know, kind of set that to, to the side and just say that there's no excuse or exception for abuse, um, I would say that. Would you like me to read your letter? Click on the description of this video to submit your question. You know, if the if you are being intentional and the other person has refused to be, like if they have said, I'm not willing to have the conversation, I'm not willing to grow, I don't want to deal with this. And I mean, it's showing no sign, again, of, of a will willingness to grow or awareness to change. Um, then, yeah, I would say that that the relationship can't go anywhere. Does that make sense? Because if you think about how we all grow, we all started unconscious ignorance where we don't even know that we don't know. And then some type of awareness happens. I don't know. It could be a life experience. It could, we went and heard a, heard a talk or we were at church or we had a dream or whatever. And just one day, like the things that we were completely blind to or we're not blind to anymore. We're like, oh my gosh, I do this, <laughs> right? Like we finally, I mean, well, that moves us from unconscious ignorance to conscious ignorance. So now we know that we don't know. You know, and that's the hardest, it's the hardest place to be in a relationship dynamic where the person is like not even aware of their, of their stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's where I was for so long. And I just, I'm sure I stressed a lot of people out. It's like, you don't even see that you do this. Right. I'm just unconsciously ignorant. But when awareness comes and you move from unconscious ignorance, to at least conscious ignorance, you just praise God because that's the hardest move in the in the in the on the growth process i think and so then a person is now consciously ignorant they have a decision to make right awareness brought them into this place but now a decision will move them from this place because they go from consciously ignorant to consciously competent what does that mean that just means that they know now that they have to like decide to work on this decide to educate themselves about this decide to to, to put in something in the ground to start planting new seeds if they want to see different fruit they have to start you know putting forth some effort if they want to see results right they they make the decision over and over again because, until they reach conscious competence but the goal is not even conscious competence in the growth process the goal is unconscious competence where you know over time that consistency moves you from being conscious about the things that you're aware of so now you're you're unconsciously competent about it. Kind of like tying your shoe. If I ask you to tie your shoe right now, blow bubble gum at the same time, and also probably yell at your kids, you can do it all. <laughs> you know, get out of here. Like you wouldn't have to think about it. Your shoe would be tied by the end of your th your thought because it's unconscious. You are no longer using conscious resources to do the thing. And that's where we all should be um, striving to get to that place. Not just we know that we know, but I know that I know, and I want this to be a part of my lifestyle. So. You know, if a person, if you're in a relationship with a person who's on that growth journey and it feels impossible because they don't even know, just know that they're, they can go from being unconsciously ignorant to consciously ignorant. And that sometimes takes an awareness that you can't provide. And if for whatever reason, you don't have the grace to walk with them in that season and you know that about yourself, then don't. You know what I mean? But if you have the grace to walk with them and you just want to reset the, the expectations and boundaries while they're making that transition, then do that too, right? That could be the hope for the relationship. But again, a, a person who is like, I have no interest in fixing this and you don't have the capacity to, to, to navigate that with them, then I would say that's a necessary ending. And so KB, if people need help with this and they want to find you and find, you know, the things that you talk about, your services, where can people find you? 
Yeah. If people want to follow me, if they want to find me, you know, they can always on social media. It's heart underscore convo. So H-E-A-R-T underscore C-O-N-V-O-S. Um, my website for all things me is heartsconvos.com. I would say if you want some free content, if you're like, man, I like this girl and I want to I want to learn some more. I have at least three or four things that you can lean in, into um, that are free. Um, anything from free webinars to um, downloadable PDFs to, to, you know, mini video series. Like there's a ton of stuff in the link tree in my, in my bio for Instagram and TikTok. Um, if you just kind of know, like, man, I would love to just connect with her, you know, in a more intentional way, then I have a challenge that I run for the most part every month. And it's a five day challenge called the Make Better Connections Challenge. And so it's like, hey, if you were like, I need to learn how to make better connections, then you want to do that. It's a five day commitment. Um, it's an hour a day for the general admission. And it's two hours a day. If you're really about that life, then you get uh, an hour of question and answer for the VIP ticket. And so you can sign up for that challenge. It's $97 for the general admission. It's $297 for the VIP. And that has, has proven itself to be probably one of the most life-changing things for, for people in my community. Um, and then I have coaching programs and all those things. But really, uh, I wouldn't even talk about that because if you, are, if you haven't taken the challenge yet, all of that would probably be too much. So I would, I would say check, in, check into the uh, Make Better Connections Challenge. And if you go to heartcombos.com, you can get information about that. Fantastic, KB. All of that is so good. So people go check it out. Thank you for being here today and all your wisdom.